Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly podcast, where you'll get the real rundown of what's going on in Scottish politics. We have the interviews, the gossip, and sometimes the laughs. So please join us. And remember, when anyone tells you they're not interested in politics, you tell them you know a podcast that can help them out with that. And you can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. So enjoy. In less than two months, we Scots go to the polls to elect the MSPs for the sixth session of the Scottish Parliament. This election has been described as the most important in the history of devolution, not least because a second SNP majority will inevitably lead and give more urgency to demands for a second referendum, potentially paving the way to Scotland's independence. It's an important election for many other reasons too, given the challenges posed by COVID and Brexit. But we're also going to lose a large number of our very experienced MSPs, some of whom, like one of our guests today, Linda Fabiani, have been members of the Parliament since its inception in 1999. In our series of of end-of-an-era podcast interviews, we're exploring lots of issues with those MSPs that are standing down and have become the so-called greybeards of politics, able to extol some wisdom and experience gleaned from their many years at Holyrood, but also with some that were elected for the first time around at the start of this session back in 2016 and what they've learned. Now, Linda might not want to be described as a grey beard, and I can certainly testify to her face being fuzz-free, but she's not only served 22 years as the first list MSP for Central Region and then as the MSP for East Kilbride for the last decade, but she's also been a Minister of Government, has been Deputy Presiding Officer, is Deputy Presiding Officer, and since um, and right now is also the convener of the Scottish Parliament Committee, exploring how the Scottish Government handled harassment complaints made against her party's former leader, Alex Salmond, perhaps the most challenging role yet. Joining Linda and I is another well-kent face around Holyrood, Jim Fox. Jim is Head of Public Affairs for Coca-Cola and has not only got a plaque in Linda's constituency, but is a major player in the food and drink industry in Scotland and has, if you'll pardon the pun, fingers in various policy pies that matter to the public as well as to the politicians around the economy, around sustainability, the environment and even on health issues such as our battle with the bulge. I feel in some ways that we three have been on a bit of a journey together, learning how this parliament works, how each of our roles fit with the political landscape and how those relationships work for the betterment of politics in Scotland. So, Linda, I want to start with you because as new MSPs come into Holyrood, they'll be overwhelmed by organisations like mine, with lobbyists, like Jim, with local business organisations and groups, all wanting a bit of them and, and how they get their issues on the radar. So how does it feel coming in as a new MSP and how do you work out who to speak to and how to speak to them? Uh-huh. Well, do you know, it's, it's really different for anyone who's come post-1999 election because, uh, as you said, Mandy, at the beginning we were all in it together. Uh, nobody really knew how it was going to pan out and we all learned together. Uh, so, you know, you get new MSPs coming in and there'll be a whole new tranche this time. And actually, what I've learned over the years is that no matter how much you try and impart that so-called wisdom and give a bit of advice, everyone's got to make their own way because nobody can possibly understand what it's like. So I think no matter who you are, you're going to be overwhelmed 
in at least your first year because you're trying to take far too much on and try to be all things to all people. Then you'll realise that's just impossible. Start to settle a bit and uh, start to just shed you know, some of the stuff. I, I've always looked at things um, since that initial overwhelming that overtook me. Um, what I do is I say, is this good for the constituency? Is this good for, for my group? Uh, for me, is this good for independence? And uh, lastly, is it good for me? Because there's always going to be something that doesn't have much impact anywhere, really, but you passionately care about it. So you will take the time to do that. Yeah, so no advice can be given, really. There was a feeling, I think, certainly I felt it at the beginning, that commercial interests were, were not a good thing and MSPs were frightened of getting involved with business. Do you feel that was fair and that, the, in a way, the Parliament has grown up as everybody realises there's a benefit to everybody by these relationships? Yeah, I think that's very true. I, I think at first we were all a bit reluctant uh, to be seen to be in the pocket of business or whatever. But you know, you have to get real about these things. And uh, if you are looking after the interests of your constituency or your region, if it's a region, you have to forge relationships because you have a business there that's affecting the day-to-day -day lives of your constituents. So you have to be aware of what's going on. You have to be supportive. Um, you also have to be a critical friend now and then. But uh, it would be ridiculous to think that you shouldn't try and build these relationships. Wait, Jim, when you listen to Linda there, and, you know, just as a very human being and a politician, is that the, is that the skill that Linda has brought to the table, if you like, for you, that you can build a relationship with a politician who is also happy to expose themselves as a human being? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think I've never us... exposed myself to Jim Fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nasty rumour. Um, and I'm not going to comment on that at all You'd because be I'll be on that hashtag me too again. Um, I, I think that I, I think we started off, and Linda started off this conversation by saying, you know, you've got to be open and honest. You, you know, people have got to trust one another. It comes down to individuals. It's not about whether I work for Coca-Cola or, or, or Linda's an SNP MSP. It's about, it, it always comes down to the individuals and, and the trust is built up from how I see Linda or how she sees me and then and then we can go from there. I, 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 you know, I think that the more we understand one another, uh, you know, the, the difficulties of politics versus the difficulties of industry, um, the, the, the sooner we'll make good progress. You know, I, I do understand not, not nearly as much as you guys how difficult some things that on the surface should be no-brainers, uh, should go through Parliament in a blink of an eye. But we all know that that's not how it works. And it's the same with industry, you know? When someone says out of the blue, we should get rid of plastic bottles, it's a great statement, and 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 we all applaud the the sentiment. <laughs> but it's a world changing statement, and you know we'll get real great progress on all of our packaging. I didn't want to go back to packaging, but you know we'll make good progress on 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 businesses on all the way through our business. 
but it just doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. And again, social media seems to think that tomorrow things are going to change. Well, you know, we took a long time to get to this place. It'll take a wee bit longer to get out of some of the, the cul-de-sacs we built for ourselves. I, I wanted to I wanted to sort of uh, go back to the, the 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 thing I was thinking last night about what to say, and it was, it was like about how important it was to get people to come to the factory and then understand us. And I thought, who have we been the fact the factory? We've had Prince Charles been the factory. Uh, we've had Alex Salmon. He came and and uh, Linda was there. We, we had Nicholas Sturgeon, First Minister. She came, and I thought, who was the most important? Then I remembered, I, I'm. You know, the guy who just won Celebrity MasterChef last night, Ed Bowles, he's also been... So I think he trumps Prince Charles, Nicola, and Alex. <laughs> because we've had Ed, and, you know, he, he's gone on to great fame and fortune since since that thing. So I think that we gave him a springboard, really. And, Jim, in some ways, you had more experience of the political landscape than perhaps Linda and I. I mean, you'd already been dealing with Westminster. Yeah. So how was it, how different was it coming into Holyrood? Yeah, uh, it, it was very different. I mean, I didn't have a lot of experience of politics up until about 15 years ago. I, I'd, I've worked for Coca-Cola for about 33, 34 years now, but it was in sales and marketing and logistics. And so coming into politics, I first went to Westminster. It was a, you know, it was a difficult place to get noticed. It was a difficult place to get heard. And when I came to Holyrood for the first time, it seemed a much more friendly, much more reachable place. You know, it, it was still a critical place. It was still some place that, that held you to account. But it was some place where you could actually go and speak to the right people relatively quickly and um, and build build trust. Um, you know, I, in in my role, I've got to try and represent the factory in in that political uh, um, in in Parliament. And you know, they're not they're very proud uh, workforce. They're very proud. They're passionate, and you know they. But they're not the kind of people that would want to walk into Holyrood and speak to an MSP. And I'm supposed to be the person who's trying to bridge that gap and find uh, and find um, find a, a, a some, some uh, MSPs that will listen to our point of view and take that take the criticisms from elsewhere and and try and uh, work through them with with as as Linda said some kind of uh, as a critical friend. And uh, and listen to our side of the story. I think we've done that. I think I think we're uh, I think we've gained trust, and and that trust took a long time. Uh, but you know we're well on the road, and I think we'd like to hand that over. I think I think that's sort of a duty, not to not to not to leave people to start from. The, the very bottom of, of that knowledge, that wisdom, I, I, I try and give them a, a head start in the next parliament. I mean, that's interesting, Linda, that I mean, for you as the MSP, you've got a business in your constituency that matters to your um, voters and everybody else that might not vote for you even. <laughs> How do you get the balance right between 
coveting that relationship, but also being aware that there might be times when you can't always just be as friendly as you might like. It can be difficult. Um, but I think the basis of that is the basis of what, what I think you should be in politics, which is about being true to yourself. Um, you know, there, there have been times when there's been a business in the constituency that I feel is acting very badly. Um, hasten to add, not Coca-Cola, never. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have had times of that, whether it be a small business or whether it be a larger business. And you, you just have to say to them, look, give me your side of the story, but from what I'm hearing, this isn't good. And just deal with it as you must uh, from there. You have to be honest with, with yourself, with your constituents and with with the, the businesses. Can't be anything else. And and for your for your part, Jim, I mean, have you, I mean, I suppose it's difficult because I'm well aware that you've managed to forge a very good relationship between the two of you. I, and I suppose it's about how you pass that lesson on to others. You know, with Linda going, I presume you're not going anywhere, Jim, but, um, you know, with Linda going, how do you then rebuild? How do you start again? I think I'd rather, I mean, I'll answer the question, but going back to the start, it, I think uh, some factories, some businesses and some factories have an advantage, some of a disadvantage. If you, if you roll up with a new factory in an existing con uh, uh, community, it can be difficult to be established. Coca-Cola and East Co-Bride developed together. I mean, uh, Coca-Cola uh, were operating in Glasgow 100 years ago. Um, in a sense, we moved out of Glasgow with the people that formed East Co-Bride, with the new town. So it, it, we were built into the fabric of, of the community then, and, and, and that helped a lot. But that doesn't give you a free pass. So, you know, you, you've got to keep working on that. I think... It was always a uh, it, it was a great lesson for me when the first time you arrive at Glasgow Airport to go to East Kilbride Factory, and I was searching through all of my I think it was a file of fax at the time for the address for the factory, and it, when I got into the taxi, I just said oh, I'm, I'm going to Coca Cola East Kilbride. I'm just trying to find the address, and the guy said, Oh, you don't need the address. I know where I, that kind of a knowledge of the the, the connection between Coca-Cola factory and East Kilbride was was all the way down uh, to to Glasgow Airport. Everyone knows, and and it has been a good relationship. Um, how you go forward with that? You you just got to build the trust. It, I think it's as important for us, probably more important for us, to get the trust of local politicians and and in Scotland MSPs than than anybody else. I mean. We have a business that has um, has people that are willing to to be critical of of our products, uh, of our business. Our business is a uh, for some people uh, a global multinational in in that that kind of phrase. Yeah, we're we're every bit as much a local business as everybody else in, in East Kilbride. We we employ local people uh, and. Uh, you know, we support the local community. So in that regard, we had an easy ride. You know, the, the, we, we, we could easily demonstrate that we were a local business. What we couldn't easily demonstrate uh, so much was the, um, our progress towards uh, a, a more healthier uh, product portfolio. 
So, uh, you know, it, it took a while for us to to show that we were serious about um, moving away from high calorie products into low and no calorie products. That we've done that now. I mean, Diet Coke and Coke Zero are, are bigger products now than than the original Coca Cola. The other main critic uh, criticism for us was in our, our dealing with packaging and 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 probably plastic was in at the front of that. And we've done more than any other business in Scotland to to push ahead with progress on packaging. In fact, you know that uh, as you both know, Scotland will introduce a deposit return system in the next year or so, and uh, we were at the front of that. We 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 led that uh, progress. Uh, you know, Richard Lockhead, I think, had a vision then, but we we picked that up and we made that that happen, and and so. Even where people are making criticism of us uh, being part of the the litter problem or part of the plastic problem, you know we can easily demonstrate that that we're working as hard as anyone to to address that. I think Linda listened to that. I think Linda is as aware of our progress there as anyone, and you know that helps. It helps when when people in Parliament are talking about it, and we've got someone in there that can stick up for us. I think that's what I was going to ask you about, Linda. How important is it in a, that kind of business political relationship when there are elements of conflict over policies, like Jim mentions there about when you're looking at obesity on one level, but you've got a business that's creating, uh, producing fizzy drinks. Is the relationship important because you can have a sensible discussion that helps you feed that back into policy? Absolutely. I, I think that's really important. I mean, there have been times um, that I've I've had some issues uh, with Coca-Cola. Many, many years ago, uh, I would say, there was a time when Coca-Cola got a lot of criticism about their environmental policies, for example. Um, plastics is part of what, what Jim was talking about. But there was also a lot of criticism uh, about their global operation in some locations in, ten, in terms of the environment. And concerns about that and uh, you know what I did was let them know I had concerns it's back to that that honesty thing again and being a critical friend um, but Coca-Cola has made it easy for me because they've taken steps in all these directions uh, you know as well as the the deposit return issue um, which you know there was a lot of discussion around that we all had lots of discussions around it and common ground was reached between the company and the Scottish government um, a lot of discussions around the whole environmental package, and but also a great pride that I have that, you know, for example, Coca Cola and East Kilbride managed to get down to zero waste. I mean, that's makes it easy uh, for me to praise them. There have been now and then um, very few, very few issues with the odd employee or something that has come to me. But yes, having that relationship where there's a mutual trust that I can phone Jim, say, uh, or someone else, and talk it through and try and reach a pragmatic solution without it becoming a huge issue is extremely important. And that's the way I try to do all my business. Um, companies like Coca-Cola, that's the way they want to do business as well. Others uh, are not as amenable to that, and that makes it much more difficult generally. When companies go in the defensive, that's difficult. 
when they won't talk. But even when there's plans um, happening, we have that mutual trust that Jim will phone me and say, look, uh, you know, just to let you know what's happening. That's great. I would far rather have that uh, than be constantly just hearing the rumour mill grinding and trying to find out what's going on. Is it an evenly balanced relationship in terms of power, I suppose? I mean, do you find that <laughs> you can be educated by things that Jim might tell you as well as kind of that flow of information going the other way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't have a business background. Um, you know, it's it's far too simple for folk like me who don't come from a, I mean, I've run a sort of small business, but I I don't have a, an industry background or a big business background. It's far too easy for people like me to make snap judgments about things without knowing what's behind it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the, the good things about Coca-Cola is um, the openness of the company about, I've lost count of how many times I've been in there, but, you know, being able to go in and see how things work, get the explanations for why things are as they are, um, get a feel for the place too. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm learning all the time from lots of different companies in East Kilbride. I mean, Jim, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I will hear people say these things anyway. They'll say, oh, you know, politicians aren't interested in business or they don't know how to run a business. Do you see that as part of your job as well, at being able to explain just the nitty-gritty of why you do things and that there can be unintended consequences of what seem like well-intentioned policy decisions? Yeah, um, the, the, the best example I can give is, is when you're sent to tell politicians how difficult it is to do something, and I often am sent to say, you know, uh, I think it's, um, you, know, you would like to see us doing this, but in fact that, that, that will have unintended consequences, et cetera, et cetera. And we've all had them stories a hundred times before. If I can get the, the politician, Linda or, or any of the others, into the factory and show them, they get it far quicker, far deeper uh, than sitting across a desk trying to tell them, poor us, we can't do that, it's all too difficult. You know, when you show them exactly what it means in real terms to change one thing for another, uh, you know, it, it, makes, it makes it so much easier. And then you find that they are your biggest advocates in, in, the, in going forward. You know, as soon as they get the arguments and as soon as they understand that you are trying to reach the same objectives as perhaps the misinformed, um, uh, um, the, this, I think Linda called it snap judgments, but, you know, that the easy solutions. If you're trying to reach the same thing as, as people with the more simplistic view, um, but you're saying that you can't do it that way, but you can do it some other way. I think that that, that that really resonates with most, you know, good politicians. And that's how I prefer to do business. You know, show them, let them try. Uh, and uh... I was just struck by what Jim's saying there because it works the other way as well. Uh, you know, quite often I'll get some business person uh, or or an employee, employer coming on to me and saying, the government has to do this. You make it happen. And, you know, you can't. <laughs> so it, it takes a bit of explanation and learning on the other side too. So having a relationship which is easy and genial in the main, 
um, gives that understanding on both sides, both about the strictures that, uh, under which business operate, but also the strictures under which government operates. So it's, it's useful all round. I mean, I was, I suppose, going to interrupt you to say almost the same thing, that you're a politician that likes to actually have the conversation, get people around the table. And that's what people mm. say a lot about Scotland, that we can do things faster because you can get people around a table. Not mm. right now, but um, yeah. I mean, how important has that been that for you particularly, Jim, that, you know, Linda is accessible, that the parliament is accessible? Um. To a point, I think it's great because anything that's within the devolved powers is fantastic, and and you you can even if you don't if you don't make people change their minds to your your way of thinking, you you at the very least know that they understand where you're coming from, and that that's that's a a, a great step forward. Um. There are conflicts. I mean, uh, having devolution, uh, although I completely respect uh, devolution and, and all the, the politics that go with it, um, as, a, as a company working uh, across Great Britain, having a supply chain that, that sometimes, um, you know, is one thing one side of the border and another thing the other side of the border can be frustrating at times. And telling that story uh, to politicians, whether that's in Westminster and Holyrood, uh, is good. And as, as Linda says, sometimes people listen to you and agree with you, but can't do anything about it. And other times you just get to the right person at the right time and something good can happen. I suspect Linda would say the solution to that is independence, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> But Jim couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's for a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> have there been moments over the years where you've you and Jim have had conflict, or you've had conflict with uh, other business representatives in the constituency, where you've had to try and find a way through? Oh yeah, not not with Jim. I don't think I can't really remember. Um, I think I think we there was a time where we we could have ended up in conflict over some of the environmental stuff and deposit return, but you know there was pragmatism on all sides, whether it be the company, myself, the government, um, and we we achieved a solution which was great. Um, other other times, yes, I have had conflict with other business owners um, here and there, not very often. But it does happen. And, you know, it's like any other walk of life. You're not going to agree with absolutely everyone you meet or everyone you talk to. You have to work your way through it. Um, you know, and when you're a representative that's also sticking up for uh, the government um, because it's your government, um, sometimes government does things that uh, people find difficult. and. You know, they don't understand, and, and neither or should they sometimes. I don't understand all the reasonings behind it and why things are the way they are. Um, but uh, you, you can't expect everyone to agree with everything all the time. And sometimes people get hurt. Jim talked about unintended consequences. Sometimes the best possible things that governments do have unintended consequences for other people. And uh, it happens to business people just as it happens to individuals. Uh, so there's always going to be a degree of conflict. 
What about you, Jim? Has it all been smooth sailing? I, I think that there have been times. So it, uh, the only thing that I can think of that, that, that could have been negative was, you know, when we have annual and biannual pay negotiations, it always, you know, uh, in every business uh, or in almost every business, it always comes to that last few days where it, 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 the negotiation can be a bit fraught and people can decide that, that they may be taking industrial action or they may not be, you know, and they look to local politicians for support on that. And, you know, that that can always be a tricky, uh, tricky time. And we've never really boiled over into a, a problem area, but that, that kind of thing is always in the balance at them particular times. But I'd rather talk about uh, a more positive example where, at the start of the, the COVID crisis, um, both the Westminster government and, and the Holyrood government were looking at, at how they restricted, um, you know, industry and communities uh, to to safeguard the, the population. And there was a point uh, uh, for a short period of time where we really thought that the Scottish government would go f slightly further than the Westminster government and close all factories. And uh, that was a concern because we we put in place a, a, a huge number of uh, safeguards and we thought that we could operate safely. And uh, it, the, the definition of keeping factories open and keeping essential factories open and then keeping uh, what was essential, uh, food and drink, was soft drinks still a part of food and drink? Uh, and, you know, we had conversations where that certainly could have went the other way. And I think without the support of uh, certainly Linda and other MSPs uh, and that trust that we as a business could operate safely, I think that could have went, um, could have went badly for us and could have went badly for you know, the employees, et cetera, all the way down. We've operated all the way through the COVID crisis. The factory's never been closed. And uh, we've not had any any problems. We've been absolutely safe, and you know the safety of the employees has always got to be first in in our planning, our thinking. But that particular point, that political pivotal one or two days uh, when the first minister had to make some really tough decisions, we're we're really glad that we had. MPs like Linda on side to make those decisions positive uh, for us. That's quite interesting, Linda, isn't it? Because sometimes mm -hmm. these things only get tested when there's a crisis. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's been one of the things about this pandemic in all walks of life. Uh, no matter what regulations and rules and things are put in place, there's always people that fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. now, whether it be individual people or, or whether it be various types of small business that don't quite fit in one way or the other, and it's really difficult, and it, it does take crisis to to really show up just how complex um, you know, businesses are, how complex people's lives are, and and it's hard. Sorry, and if you don't, if you've not established that trust before crisis, then you're never going to establish trust during a crisis. Mm, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it was interesting, Jim, because actually, as you were talking about that, I was I'd been speaking to a distiller, and he described exactly the situation you were talking about when everybody really had to think about shutting down. 
but not understanding the unintended consequences. And he was kind of saying to me, it was fine that we were shutting a distillery, but that meant that cows weren't getting grain because we're all part of a cycle of making the product. Mm -hmm. So it's important that politicians understand all the different elements, I suppose. Yeah. I would have made I would have made an argument for keeping his distillery open, but never mind. The distillery was kept open and the cows were all fed and everybody was very happy. <laughs> Linda, in terms of looking back over these tw 22 years, I mean, what are the things that really, I don't mean just in relation to this conversation about the relationships with Coca-Cola, but for you, what are the moments that really do jump out at you as being A, highlights, but also lowlights? Oh, well, you mentioned at the start of this, Mandy, that uh, I'm cheering... <laughs> I'm chairing the committee into the um, Scottish government's uh, dealings with harassment allegations against former First Minister. Uh, it's difficult. Um, and, I, and I think to myself, how near earth did I end up with this job? But uh, just last week when I was thinking about it, it took my mind back to the very start of my parliamentary career when I ended up in the Holyrood Progress Group. Uh, thankfully, there wasn't social media at the time, but I got such a haranguing in the press along with my cross-party colleagues for being in this progress group to try and um, help create the, the, the wonderful building that, that we all work in now. And uh, I thought, so I had that at the beginning of my career, and now I've got this at the end of my career. And then I thought, and all the way through, I keep getting these controversial things to do. You know, I sat in the Smith Commission and got pelters for that as well from all sides. And uh, I chaired one of the, the Scotland Bill Committees to, to bring extra powers to the Parliament. So I suppose in one sense they're highlights because it's good that I've been trusted to do these things. So perhaps that's career highlights. On the other hand, there have been lowlights because they're really, really difficult. And, and as I say, attract a a lot of attention, most of it unwanted. Um, so I suppose perseverance is uh, what uh, is probably um, my attribute, I think. Uh, other highlights are the wonderful things like winning the constituency of East Kilbride after, after um, being a, a list MSP. Uh, that was fabulous. Um, various bits of legislation that the Parliament has passed, like equal marriage and uh, things like that, where we've been really forward-thinking some of the the domestic abuse legislation and uh, homelessness legislation that we've, we've brought in as a Parliament has been excellent too. So once I get over this uh, current hurdle, I'll be able to think more about the highlights, I think. I was going to ask you, obviously, about the current hood. I mean, you say, do you was there ever a moment where you thought, actually, I don't want to take this on, I don't want to chair this committee? I mean, you're you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, Linda. <laughs> yeah, more than more than two rocks and two hard places, I'll tell you. Um, no, I, define. <laughs> uh, no, I. Uh, you get asked to do something by your team, you know, and you do it. Uh, it never entered my head not to do it, no. It entered my head that I wish I wasn't doing it, but that's a different thing. <laughs>
did you feel that it would um, develop the way it has developed? I mean, you've talked about social media, and on one hand, you've got Jim talking about you as a, a kind of honest broker, which is probably why you've been picked for these things that you've um, mm. had to do. But this is turning into quite a bruising affair. Mm. Um, I just want, how does that feel for you? I'm not hugely upset by it. I wouldn't like Emdy to think that I wasn't sleeping at night or anything like that. It's, it's, it's more of a frustration. There, there's, there's two frustrations. The first one is that it's, perhaps because it's the run-up to an election, it's become very politically charged, highly charged politically. I find that difficult because I'm a believer in uh, cross-party coming together to get at the truth of something and to do a proper inquiry. So I find the politics that have become involved quite difficult to not to deal with because that's that's my job, but just that it's happened. I find that hard. And with From the, committee members, Linda? Um, not necessarily. Uh, just generally from uh, from politicians generally. Uh, it's just the way it is. Whether they're on the committee or whether they're in the parliament, it's, it's all one and the same thing. Everybody works in their, their party groups. It would be ridiculous to try and say otherwise. So so I'm finding that quite hard. But as I say, I'm not losing any sleep over it because I'll deal with it. Um, but there, there's a couple, and I'm constantly worried, I've got a constant worry um, about the well-being of people who are involved in this at all levels. So that that does worry me. Uh, the other thing that I'm finding frustrating is the social media. Um, it, again, I don't lose sleep over it. I don't respond to it. Um, I recognise it for what it is. But I think there's a frustration that so much of it is done anonymously. Um, so much of it is based on absolutely no knowledge whatsoever, just opinion on something that they think uh, so I'm finding that I'm finding that quite difficult, but it's not spilling over into anything in my life other than Twitter. So that tells a story in itself. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to ask you a couple of things about this, and then we'll move on. But I mean, the for you personally to get a letter sent from Rape Crisis Scotland saying, mm -hmm. you know not thinking about the women, but, but isn't the reality that this is a committee set up to investigate the dealings of the government? And sadly, no matter how much sympathy people may have generally for complainants in similar cases, this this committee isn't really about the women. It has been allowed to become about them, I would say. Um, and, and that's become quite difficult, but that's based on... Um, that's based on the law. You know, there was a court case. There were provisions put in place after the court case. So the committee has to take cognizance of them and be very, very careful. And I suppose that's what I'm talking about by some people having opinions that are not based on any fact. Um, you know, some of the stuff that's been in social media is horrendous. Um... Uh, you know, based on complete misunderstanding of the legal system and how it works and based on a complete misunderstanding of how the committee is working and indeed what the committee's remit is. So it has ended up 
involving people. And I mean, I find that difficult, you know, as I said, like when uh, that letter from, there's been more than one letter from Rape Crisis, um, who are quite rightly speaking on behalf of, of people they deal with. Um, yes, I find that difficult. I, I find that really difficult. Um, but I've been given a job to do and I have to get on with it. Do you think at the end of the day the committee is set up for failure? Do you think you will be able to be able to fulfil the job that you set out to do? It's, that's hard to, to answer in full because we haven't heard all the evidence yet. Um, I mean, the, the actual remit of the committee is split into different parts. Um, you know, one of them is about um, the, the development of the policy that the Scottish Government put in place and how they then operated that policy. I, I think we can report on that um, quite extensively. Then, of course, there is the, the judicial review that took place um, get between Mr Salmond and the Scottish Government. I think we'll be able to report on that. Um, there's also the ministerial code element. Not sure that we'll be able to be as thorough on that as will James Hamilton QC, who's also doing a, an investigation into only the ministerial code. So uh, I certainly intend that we should report as extensively as we can. Yeah. And I hope, very much hope, that the earlier parts of this inquiry that I've spoken about will go some way into making uh, the government system and thereby systems and in other institutions a bit better so that women can have confidence that if they come forward with complaints, they will be adequately dealt with. So I think that's the most important thing of all, learning lists. It's fascinating to get even a tiny glimpse from Linda about how it must feel personally as an SNP MSP of 22 years, who was a minister under Alex Salmond, is a deputy presiding officer with Nicola Sturgeon as first minister, and is now in the hot seat as the convener of a committee exploring how the Scottish government mishandled harassment claims against Alex Salmond, and which have already cost the taxpayer upwards of half a million pounds and counting. I'm sure when this is all over, there will be so much more to tell, and that's a bottle of wine that I do want to share with Linda. But the abuse that she and other committee members have received online for simply doing a job they were tasked with is appalling. Linda's gone from being a respected and very much liked MSP to being called a snake and so much worse. The atmosphere around all of this is febrile, the stakes are high, but it has sadly been reduced to a salmon sturgeon psychodrama, and over the last week there has been a tangible ratcheting up of accusations and rebuttals that have only helped to muddy the already murky waters in which this committee has to wade. In fact, we record this podcast on the eve of Alex Salmon's much-awaited appearance before that committee. And the front pages of today's newspapers are splashed with the words of his finally published submission to the committee. And while this is clearly still all to be tested during the evidence session, and with the First Minister also then appearing next week to presumably rebut claims he might make, there's still so much more to run on this. And even as we speak, there are legal moves happening which could mean his appearance doesn't happen with the Crown Office writing to the Parliament over what it describes as grave concerns over some of what Salmond has said. 
And there are shocking accusations in his submission, not least that he points the finger at the First Minister's husband, her own Chief of Staff, the Permanent Secretary and various other unnamed persons for their part in a process which he says could have seen him ultimately imprisoned. And if none of this complex tangle of relationships, accusations and claims actually resonates with any of the listeners, there are a few basic points which could hit home. For instance, when he says, The real cost to the Scottish people runs into many millions of pounds, and yet no one in this entire process has uttered the simple words which are necessary on occasions to renew and refresh democratic institutions. I resign. And that's true. No one has uttered those words, yet we know that mistakes were made. The submissions from Salmond have now been pulled from the Parliament's website because of those grave concerns by the Crown. And the whole process just seems to descend into farce. So it is worth remembering, while we're meant to erase our memories of things we've already seen and read, that, by the way, did not identify any complainants, which is what we were told was the basis for the fulsome objections prior to publication. Indeed, Rape Crisis Scotland sent a letter calling for the Parliament not to publish for that very reason. And yesterday, a small but orchestrated campaign on social media by a handful of mainly SNP staffers, some parliamentary candidates, by the way, did the same with the hashtag #WeStandTogether. So it is worth remembering, this inquiry is not about Alex Salmond. It is not about his behaviour. He did not set this timetable to land just before an election and that his involvement in any of this is about how the Scottish Government managed to botch an internal HR complaints process that was investigating complaints about him. This is now about the Scottish Government, about Nicola Sturgeon and her advisers, and it is about the governance of our country. Right now, people elsewhere must be looking on at us utterly gobsmacked. All I can say with any certainty sitting here right now is that Alex Salmond may yet not appear in front of the committee tomorrow if he can't speak to the evidence he has already presented and we have already read and has now been removed. But I guess for some, that might be a very good thing. So when anyone says to you that they're not interested in politics, you have to look them in the eye and ask, seriously? As someone much greater than I said, a week is a very long time in politics. And believe me, I know Scottish politics is never boring. So don't leave it long. Make sure you come back and join us on Politically Speaking. And remember that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and do tell your friends because everybody has an interest in politics.